Hello, listeners. This is your host, best friend, and parasocial relationship encourager, Kat. This week, we are not going to be having our regularly scheduled episode, as evidenced by this whole little thing that you're seeing in your feed that's going to be about, like, half an hour or so. That's because Erin is currently sick, and we weren't able to record because we didn't want to make Erin record through that illness. So, with that in mind, since we're nearing the end of the same coin, I thought I'd kind of talk you guys through what's coming next. We're likely going to be wrapping up the same coin in the arc after the current one, which I promise we will actually get finished. This is not going to become the unfinished arc that dooms this podcast for a hundred episodes. I refuse to have that happen. The ending isn't exactly as we had planned it. It was kind of forced a little bit due to the way that Fantasy Flight Games has structured their fan content policy. But I think like two years and some change is actually fairly reasonable for a show like this. I don't know that it would be worth going that much longer. And in all honesty, I've kind of always envisioned Chicks with Dice as being a sort of um, anthology series in the same vein as something like Friends at the Table or, to a lesser degree, The Adventure Zone. Uh, the idea is that we would be playing a different game with each sort of story that we do. The other idea was that originally the same coin was going to be a three book series with the book one dark side ending at the end of this campaign with the plant end that we are going to be executing anyway. So that means that what was book one and what is now the full entirety of the same coin will have a definitive and solid series finale style climax and denouement with things left open for a return should things change with regards to the fan content policy at Fantasy Flight Games. All in all, I think having four major arcs with each character getting to be the focus of one and the crew getting to be the focus of the final arc feels right. I'm hopeful that what we have planned will be memorable, enjoyable, and in tune with our Star Wars animated series inspiration. Slightly heartbreaking. While we have to accelerate the timetable for this, the plan was always to take a break between the books for another series so we wouldn't be doing book one, book two, book three, but rather book one, another thing, book two, another thing. Those plans haven't really changed. Those finite systems with, you know, different RPGs and things like that always felt like the right way to showcase the diversity and the beauty of the world of RPG game design. So... Right now, we're kind of juggling a couple of potential systems to work with. I'm reasonably certain where we're going to be going with everything. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later in just a second. Um, I do, however, know exactly what the story framing is going to be. The tone, the intention, the themes... I've put a lot of thought into this over the last year. I came up with the idea for this show, like, genuinely. I was on the couch, a little bit high, and I thought, oh, hey, that's a pretty good name. 
And then I kind of fleshed it out into a bit more of a series. Um, a lot of that inspiration comes from the fact that around this time last year, I was in the middle of re-watching the world's worst show, Supernatural. Specifically, like, I don't know how many of our listeners are or were or ever have been involved or adjacent to the Supernatural fandom or have been on Tumblr in the last 10 years. But uh, November 5th of 2020 was a weird time for the Supernatural fandom insofar as it kind of reinvigorated it. And I started watching it. And like most Supernatural fans, I decided around season 12, I fucking hate Supernatural. But, and this is a big but, there's something there. Like, it, it ran for too long. It never delivered on any of its promises. It was, at times, racist, anti-indigenous, homophobic, and just all sorts of different kinds of problematic. But when you pare it down, there's like that little kernel of story that is fundamental and really actually interesting and what kept people there. It's why the show ran for 15 years was this kernel of something that despite every other terrible thing about that stupid fucking show, people kept watching. And I watched 15 fucking seasons of this show. Like, I, I didn't say, nah, this isn't worthwhile. There's no reason for me to keep watching. I kept watching because there was something there that said to me, I don't understand it, but it compels me. Like, Knives Out, you know, that thing. Um, so, boy, it's weird talking to just myself. If you strip out all of the Bush-era politics that the show is rife with, you pull out the both in and out of universe homophobia and racism. And like at the core, there is something fundamental. You have a story about a family desperately trying to grab some crumb of free will in a determinist universe. You have a story about rejecting destiny and trying to build a life and community with the people you love. There's something there worth exploring that exists in the space between Fanon and Canon framed as a story about a found family fighting desperately against forces greater than their comprehension in a fight they are destined by the creator himself to lose. Their choice to still struggle for the sake of love is so deeply meaningful and compelling. Supernatural is a story about trauma and how it warps our self-perception. It's very explicitly about homosexual love. I do not want to forget the fact that Supernatural is a story about how homosexual love saves the universe. Despite whatever the cast, writers, and network might say, it's about gay men. And I want to see that story come to fruition. I want a story that looks at being queer through the lens of the monstrous in a way that Supernatural just barely tangentially touches. I want to see a story where queer love is celebrated and essential to that story where there's a meaningful exploration of the conflict between free will and determinism, the conflict that we all undergo with the divine, something that is fundamental to my pursuit of Judaism, this idea that I don't have to agree with God. I can fight God, and that is something 
that that divine will, whatever it may be, wants from me. There's something so fundamental to the human experience of seeing this greater authority that tells you you must live this way, that you must be this way. And there's something so very queer about that too, to say, no, fuck you, I don't agree with you. It's saying to the universe, to the divine will of whatever, that it does not control you. And that, like, at the core is something that I want to explore more. So I talked it over with the Tricks with Dice team, and tentatively we agreed to explore the idea further sometime like about a year ago. We ran through the idea of using a few different games for the process. Uh, we looked at Arc Doom, which was a fascinating and deeply interesting game, but just didn't really quite fit with the cycles of what we were trying to do in terms of storytelling. I still, still very heavily recommend you check that game out. It is gorgeously illustrated, beautifully written, and so much fun to play. But it just wasn't our game. So we did a couple of other tests and things like that. You know, we wanted to kind of play with certain tropes and things like that. And we ended up looking into actually the Ghost Puncher RPG, which if you guys are listeners to our show and are not familiar with Ghost Puncher Core, you are missing what is probably my favorite non-Chicks with Dice actual play podcast. Lilith does such an incredible job of telling stories very similar to the kind of thing that we want to do, but from a perspective informed specifically by her Satanism. And she talks about that in a recent, like, Ghost Puncher core, mostly talking episode that they just put up, like, a couple weeks ago. And it really, it, it like, really struck me and stuck with me that this is fundamental to my exploration of my own faith is the way that we're going to be handling this RPG. And it just so happens that the game that we ended up settling on as our primary game is Monster of the Week. But, and this is where I think we have a really cool idea, due to some little shenanigans here and there and the nature of the story, which you'll hear about in just a second, we're also going to be using Dream Askew as a fundamental part of our storytelling. Before I get too in-depth, let me give you the pitch and the title so you can see how these pieces intertwine, and then we can kind of break down what that means in terms of my storytelling, how the characters and the players are going to interact with it, and then kind of I can give you a little bit of a breakdown of the way that we're going to be structuring the arcs and episodes and things like that. So, do you remember all of those theories about the end times coming in 2012 the revised estimates that Pat Robertson made over the years, Ron Weinland's persistent predictions about the end of the world, David Mead's Nibiru thing, or Kenton Bishore's whole biblical generation is 80 years shtick. So, okay, so maybe not all of those, but like at least one, right? Cool. So those guesses were actually pretty close to the mark when you think about it on like a 5,800 year time scale. The apocalypse actually happens on November 18th, 2027. You're probably wondering how I know exactly when the world ends. The thing is, I was there. Actually, so were the three of you. 
Oh, and uh, those of you eavesdropping right now, you are there too. Congrats on making it till doomsday, but oof. Ugh. I'll spare you the gruesome details since we don't have a lot of time, but long story short, horns, horses, the world is overrun with just about every kind of divine and infernal and monstrous creature you can imagine. It's not great. We've got about three years before everything goes to shit, so we need to get you trained for the fight. Let's get down to business, bitches. It's time to stop the apocalypse. In Disaster Lesbians Guide to the Apocalypse. Title card. Um, I actually do have a title card. I'll put that in a link in the show notes. Basically, that's the pitch for this show. The general themes that I want to explore are monstrousness as it relates to queerness, the conflict of determinism and free will, the shape that queer aggression can take as a force to better the world, to save the world, to really like change the way that we fundamentally understand ourselves. The text of this story is going to be trans. The text of this story is going to be gay. The text of this story is going to be gender abolitionist. There's so much that, like, the core philosophy of um, queer core punk, basically, is kind of the vibe. Like, in, in the same way that, not to bring this up again, thank you for the inspiration, Lilith, Ghost Puncher is very much a show about metal, right? It's a show about metal music and how metal music can be an act of faith. In the same way, Disaster Lesbians is going to be a show about how queercore, how punk, like, real down-and-dirty crust-punk bullshit, the kind of, like, punch a Nazi genuinely because there's a Nazi at your punk bar and Nazi punks can fuck off, that kind of essential fight, the way that we understand our history through music but also our aspirations in our future and the way that we understand our pain through the music and through the rage that we express through that music that is fundamental to this show the same way that supernatural is fundamentally defined by its relationship with classic rock so we're going to experience a lot of what i hope this is a shot in the dark. I'm not promising anything, but I'm going to be reaching out to um, queercore musicians through Bandcamp to try to get some of their music to be used as accompanying music for the show. I hope it will be well received, and I'm hopeful that we can use that as a way to really build out the depth of the sound of this show because that music is so fundamental to the vision. So some other things that I want to talk about are the way that we're going to be structuring the arcs. One of the things that I learned from running the same coin for the last two years has been kind of that interplay between telling a story in the long form and wanting to move on from 
each individual chapter. Like, I think the, um, the Mon Cal arc went on for too long. I think the Balanthology arc has probably gone on just a little too long. I, I want to try to pare down that timing. And with Monster of the Week and the formulation of Monster of the Week shows in general, I think that's a really, really good opportunity for us to explore shorter form, meaningful storytelling. The kind of storytelling that happens in vignettes. I don't want it to be the like the supernatural trope of the brothers talk to each other for two minutes after solving the monster of the week and that's where all of the plot happens. But to a degree, some of that is going to be part of it. Because each conflict is going to be <clears throat> is going to be self-contained. It's going to be short. And it's going to push the story forward towards that apocalypse that they are trying to prevent. I don't plan on this going for a full three years. We're going to play with time as needed. But I do want to have that opportunity to really like live in these characters in their kind of day-to-day -day adventures. At the same time, I'm also wary of something that is kind of quintessential to this hero narrative, to the narrative of the Monster of the Week show. Um, the way that Monster of the Week shows tend to be, to some degree or another, about some form of fucking cop. You know, like, in Supernatural, they're cops. Like, they're, they might be, like, anti-monster cops, but they're still pretty much cops. Fringe is about cops. Doctor Who is about a time-traveling space cop. It's a lot of cop shit. And I don't... I don't think that's worth us spending any time on. So part of that is kind of figuring out, realistically, how we are able to avoid those pitfalls. And that's going to be a conversation that happens both metatextually and in... Not metatextually, but... Um, it's going to be a conversation that happens in both space of us as players and game masters having a dialogue and as our characters dealing with the consequences of being destined heroes who are fighting against forces that want to wipe out humanity. You know, it, it's how do you avoid becoming a cop in something like that? That's an important dialogue piece to, quite frankly, the inspiration in punk music, but also my personal politics and my personal philosophies and my personal faith. The way that all of that interplays is going to be, I think, one of the fundamental parts of this show. Similarly, you know, this is a show made for and by monster fuckers. This is a show that is made by queer people, for queer people, by people who understand the way that queerness has been portrayed as monstrous. And I want to be cognizant of the way that we interact with what we consider to be a monster right like 
not every werewolf, not every vampire, not every swamp thing is going to be a monster. Instead, it's fundamentally about the choices that anyone makes with the freedom they are given. The choices that anyone makes in the confines of the orders that are set out by someone with more power than them. It's about how you react to those things that are morally repugnant, which in and of itself is a whole other discussion. And I quite frankly have no interest in talking about Immanuel Kant. I have no interest in talking about John Stuart Mill or any of that. Like, we're not talking about, like, classical philosophy in terms of how we define morality and a question of what we find moral. I'm not gonna, like, come at you with fucking also Sprach Zarathustra. Like, I fucking... Nobody has time for Nietzsche because Nietzsche didn't have time for Nietzsche. Like... Nobody has time to listen to Kierkegaard talk about how his concept of free will comes from the blah, 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 blah. Uh, Kierkegaard got no pussy. He's not someone I have any, any compunction about dismissing outright. The point here is that we are avoiding condemning people to this bin of evil or monstrousness because of circumstances beyond their control. Being a werewolf, being a vampire, you know, like, there is opportunity to be a good person. Given that opportunity, most people want to choose to be good. And the exploration of evil evil action rather than fundamental evil is one that I think deserves attention and care that is not given to it in a lot of media. The way that Supernatural treats monsters, the way that they they had only very briefly flirted with the idea that not all monsters are fundamentally evil, and then... Uh, the fucking serial killer main characters murder someone innocent who just so happens to be a monster. They pout about it for an episode and suddenly they're back to being best friends and having no issues. Like, I, I that, that bores me. I want there to be real fundamental discussions about the way that our actions describe our moral stances. The way that we look at something and say, this is acceptable, this is not. And part of that is that conflict between desire to do good and desire to protect the self, the individualism versus collectivism. And exploring that sort of collectivist perspective on monster stories is, I think, really, truly a fundamental part of queerness. And I want to live with that as part of our story. So giving the players the most opportunities to explore that means those shorter arcs will be happening. And I think that fits more in tune and in tone with Monster of the Week. That formulation and those tropes are going to 
play heavily into how we interact with our themes and our story. It's not possible to have a version of what we are doing that doesn't exist with those ideas as a part of what makes it itself. The thing that we are going to be exploring is how we interact with right and wrong action, with mindset and justification of evil, with harm and how that can relate to good outcome. With that all kind of floating around your mind, I kind of want to talk through the philosophy of the character that did that intro dialogue. The character who was, who is my sort of GMPC. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing in something like Monster of the Week, when realistically, I think a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games could be converted to GMless versions. Like, or like community GMing, as it were. Uh, not in the same style as Nerd Dice No Masters, Belonging Outside Belonging, but like, you know, letting the GM also play, because as long as they're not like unduly influencing decisions and railroading, I think there's no reason not to have that character interaction as a mouthpiece for the GM. Anyway, so uh, the character that I came up with conceptually is a uh, using the divine playbook from monster of the week a angel of the lord named shoftiel who goes by soph on earth and she is explicitly trans and explicitly modeled after the actual like air quotes around this but like canonical angel in third heaven uh, Shoftiel, who is one of the angels who uh, punishes the wicked. And I wanted to play around with that concept of um, the way that acts of punishment can be acts of love, but also the way that acts of divine love can be terrible and frightening and painful, the way that devotional love to a higher being might manifest in its most extreme. In effect, like, if you've seen, mm, if you've seen Madoka Magica, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's an old enough anime that I don't mind spoiling it, but um, in case you do care about spoilers, skip ahead 15 seconds. It's looking at the way that Homura devotes herself to Madoka and how horrible and frightening that devotional love can be. Okay. It is now safe to come back if you care about spoilers for a over 10-year-old anime series. Basically, the idea behind Soph is that she is interacting with the world in a way where she does not understand humanity because she is not human. There's an interplay with the angel 
that exists as hundred-story-high being of pure energy, and the human form that they choose to inhabit, particularly the way that an angel that might otherwise be registered as male in certain situations might choose a female host, and in doing so can explore gender in a way that is totally unique to their experience because they are, in effect, giant energy genderless beings that in this case are choosing to take is choosing to take a form and explicitly say to the world i am a woman in a way that i think is really really fascinating as a trans person gender as an act we do on purpose so i don't have a ton of where soph will be going or how she will be playing with the story other than as their trainer and their guide through certain things. Um, obviously giving yourself the power of a high-ranking Malachim is not exactly the most uh, balanced, which is why I think I want to kind of pull back her role in the narrative. But I'm really excited to see how she interacts with this story. I promised you guys about half an hour. I've been going for like half an hour. Uh, if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear some ideas if this has spurred you to think about anything else. And I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or on Good Pods saying that you're excited about disaster lesbians. Uh, speaking of which, actually... The hashtag for Disaster Lesbians Guide to the Apocalypse, and this is official, is hashtag DLG to the number two TA. So feel free to use that hashtag to get hype about the show. I know that the character ideas that I've been presented by Erin, uh, by Erica, and by Emma have been really exciting, and I'm excited to see the way that these characters interact with the world. And I'm excited to see how we sort of tackle these really large issues. Uh, and really just how the world ends when it is being willfully and gorily bodily resisted by people who are invested in building something better. I hope that resonates with you guys if it does and you'd like to help the best place to do that is at patreon.com slash media that money will really truly help us especially now that i'm not legally able to work like really would help but i'm not gonna like put too much pressure on you if you can't that's fine too if you don't want to like i'm not your boss you don't have to give me money if you had to give your boss money, I think that I, I, you don't, your boss gives you money. I think I've lost the plot a little bit. Uh, my point here is your contribution would mean a lot, but it is not necessary for me to say thank you. And I love you. And I'm really, really proud to have you as a listener. With all that said, I am going to go get completely blitzed on some high quality 
gray market marijuana. I'll talk to you all next week for an episode of Unsound Theories. Mwah. Bye.